It's really hard to feel grounded and useful during a moment of such deep international distress. Chef Amanda Saab has been feeling like that. She was stuck in a loop, unable to sleep, thinking about Gaza. So it was one of those sleepless nights where I was like doom scrolling and then I like woke up completely exhausted and I was like, okay, I have bags under my eyes. I can't continue in this way. I need to do something. So she did. You may know Amanda Saab from her appearances on MasterChef. She's Lebanese-American and the first Muslim woman to ever appear on the show. Amanda's cooked all around the world and hosted hundreds of pop-ups. Now she's organizing a different type of event, a night of food and solidarity for the people of Palestine. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. The fundraiser is happening this coming Monday, and it'll feature the foods of two dozen Michigan chefs. Chef Amanda Saab, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, April, for having me. Hey, can I just ask how you're holding up? It's events like this and the solidarity in our community coming together that gives me hope. Um, I still have moments of absolute sadness and grief where I'm like, oh my gosh, the tears are flowing and I can't stop it. And then take a moment, take a deep breath, acknowledge the sadness that I'm feeling and remind myself that I have some important work to do and keep going forward. Talking to folks who don't have family in the area, it's evident that many are, you know, just sort of taken aback by by this moment and, uh, you know, all the all the very, very heaviness, all the heaviness of it. And then talking to people who do have family in the region, it's evident that this is one stage in processing years worth of conflict and trauma in a lot of ways. If you're comfortable, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you've lived with your with your heart in two places at once? Yeah, so I'm I'm fortunate enough where my family is um, all here in Michigan, and we have some extended relatives in in Lebanon still. So there's they're hearing bombs go off because they're close enough. Lebanon and Palestine are so close; it's you know a mile from Bintijbel to Palestine. So they're hearing the effects and are also um, being hit right now, which is unfortunate and really sad. But my heart is here and my heart is with all people that are oppressed and facing injustice. You know, being safe and having the platform that I do and recognizing my privilege as an American um, and then mobilizing and acting on that privilege, I think, gives me the power to continue um, and to do the good things that I'm able to do. There are quite a lot of everyday activities like just, you know, checking the socials to see what's going on that have taken on a very different feeling. Are there aspects of self-care that you've been able to build in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, removing my social media um, apps from my phone at night um, because it got to the point where I couldn't sleep. And then I'm like, I'm not useful for anyone if I'm not able to get rest and um, I'm not able to think clearly. Um, So just you know, recognizing that I can turn this off and I don't have to look at it consistently is a great privilege. Um, being outside, and I'm so grateful to live in Michigan, my home state, and see the beautiful autonomous colors and the breeze that's coming through, you know, staying connected to earth in that way, I think is really important and grounding um, for me. And it helps with my self-care. We're getting, you know, fresh air and being in nature is is very good for me. So We've been doing a lot of that. Evening walks every night. Got to have it. 
You have assembled a pretty stellar group of chefs coming together for one night. It's obvious that there's great interest uh, in, in food circles on what is going on in Gaza. And on October 30th, that's on Monday, at the Binta Jebel Cultural Center at Dearborn, this event is going to be happening. 100% of the proceeds going toward the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund and the Palestinian American Medical Association. How did the conversation start about whether everyone in the community had time to do something to help? I just put up a Facebook post. I think all my great ideas and initiatives start is like, I'm going to post on Facebook and see if there's any interest. I was like, you know, do any of my chef friends, you know, want to do a, a benefit dinner next week? And do I have anyone that can provide a venue? And things quickly just started to fall into place. Everyone was like, yes, I'm interested, whatever you need. We were able to get event planners and coordinators. Um, we have florists donating. We have incredible raffle items. And then the list of chefs just kept growing. And chefs are great people. Anthony Burdine said that. And they are. And they're my favorite people because they're so generous, because they're hosp so hospitable. They're so caring and nurturing, not only to body, but to mind and spirit and truly care for the community. So what better advocates than chefs? And I'm coming off on the skirt tails of this um, advocacy boot camp that I did with the James Beard Foundation. So it's very timely that I just had this training as a chef. And here I am applying some of those skills and, and rallying up my community for this cause. I want to ask a little bit more about the boot camp and what you took away from it. But we just need to pause and recognize all the people who are coming together with this. Of course, you'll be cooking. Also, Chef Omar Anani from Saffron de Trois, Chef Nadia Najimba from Baobab Fair, which has just been one of the fast, fast rising stars to get big recognition in the Detroit scene. What was the response like when you started asking around the culinary community of whether folks wanted to do something? Absolutely, yes. A very strong, resounding yes, whatever you need, whenever you need it, I'm there. Um, so there was, I was like, okay, this is the date we got a venue. So can you make it? And they're like, we'll move things around if we can't make it. Um, some chefs were like pre-booked with prior engagements, um, which, you know, we're going into, we're in Q4. So it becomes a busier time for chefs and catering and gatherings um, and events. Um, so those that couldn't cook are contributing in other ways with raffle baskets and gift cards and showing their support and donating. Um, so it was an overall resounding, absolutely, yes, we, we take a stand with the people of Palestine and we will do this together. I guess it doesn't hurt if you pick a Monday. That's the day a lot of folks are closed. This is true. And this is the day the venue was like, yes, you can use it on this day. It's such <laughs> short notice. Right. Um, there's so many chefs here. I mean, I just mentioned two, but I mean, we're talking more than a dozen participants. Like, what's the format? Is it is it going to be like small tastes or do you even know how, how the courses will be organized yet? Yeah, so it'll be a strolling dinner, small appetizer portion. So you'll get a little taste from each of the chefs. And we we wanted to focus on flavors of Palestine and the Levant and also, in in bringing in some influences, I'm like, you know, Nadia, Baobab, they do incredible Burundian food. Like, that should be highlighted and showcased. So we got some great things coming from there. Um, same with flavors of Jamaica. Raniel's doing Jamaican beans and rice. So we have, like, Taste of the World 
and strong Palestinian influence in the flavors as well. Can you contrast for us what some of the differences, what some of the regional difference in Palestinian food is like uh, compared with, say, Lebanese, compared with, say, Egyptian specialties? I mean, there are some there are some ingredients and, and and patterns that occur in a lot of a lot of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern dishes. But I'm sure the awareness of of Palestinian flavor is at least a part of what people have on their minds. Definitely, and I think it's like a great way to connect people to Palestine is through the flavor profiles. And while the region does have very distinct flavors, I think um, Lebanese cuisine is very like. For me, in my mind, when I think of like the flavors that I grew up on, it's very like lemon and fresh, very herbaceous. And some of the flavors in Palestine are more like rich with a masachan that Omar will be making, just like very rich and olive oil heavy with the with the chicken. So very delicious, very bright. Um, and it's gonna be a culinary experience. Um I wish we didn't have to do this. I wish the world was in a different place. But if we have to do this, what better way than with food? Do you know what you're going to be making yet? Yeah. So I grew up on like chocolate cake and lots of frosting. So I'm doing a chocolate cardamom cake with a tainted buttercream and a sesame twill. So it's kind of like a chocolate peanut butter cup, um, but Lebanese flavors. <laughs> We're going to take a break. When we come back, food, activism, and changes in our eating culture. Stay with us. Amanda, you mentioned that you had spent a little time at a James Beard advocacy boot camp I had not heard of this before. Can you tell a little bit about how the James Beard Foundation uh, realized that chefs were interested in how they can put their skills to work in in terms of social or political things that they care about? Absolutely. I think when we think about chefs and all the people we touch, all the people we interact with, we have huge networks from our diners to our guests to fellow chefs. And we're very forward facing. Like, in order to feed people, you have to see them. So we're doing a lot of like one-to-one interactions, a lot of FaceTime in the community um, and with our diners. And the James Beard Foundation realized that I think, you know, this is the 25th cohort. I was part of the 25th cohort of um, boot camp alumni. Um, so it was very early on that the foundation realized the power of chefs and just how significant and impactful we are for different causes. And this boot camp was focused on the farm bill, which covered SNAP. Um, so advocating for that and we did, you know, an exercise about our network and how we can reach out to our legislators and what that and, you know, how how to advocate for the things we care about. And I was like, I'm lucky in the state of Michigan. I feel lucky where I can, you know, call on um, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters and and ask them for the things that I care about to advocate for the, the things I care about. And now more than ever with what's happening in Palestine. I've been calling nonstop. I've been writing nonstop, um, you, you know, just relaying the message that the constituents do not want this war. So, yeah. What kinds of were there were there any themes that you noticed? I mean, obviously, food advocacy, the you know, 
There are many, many movements over the past couple of decades that have been able to influence how we think about, I mean, just the fact that there is now access to something like organic produce, it's not universally accessible, but it is so much more accessible than it was, say, 20 years ago, or uh, at least a choice of free-range meat at a lot of major retailers. What kinds of threats were coming up in boot camp that people wanted to talk about? Um, so the Cover Act was related to farm farming. Um, so regenerative farming in America and just talking about the quality of our soil and what's happening for farmers. Um, we had representatives from Nyman Ranch and we were at Carnation Farms in Carnation, Washington, um, just east of Seattle at the time. So we were on a farm and learning about how they did the regenerative farming and what it looked like practically, um, you know, month over month and season over season. And so that was a big one, um, as well as the, the SNAP, the food access, and then talking about how we can expand SNAP to include hot food and what that would look like for restaurant owners and chefs. Um, because right now, currently, that people that are on SNAP can't receive prepared food, which makes it's kind of counterintuitive because if you're in an area where you don't have access to fresh food, but you have a convenience store and there's prepared food, that's not covered. But you can get like other, you know, snacky foods covered, um, but not the good nourishing stuff covered. I have to say this is so hard because on the one hand, you know, everyone deserves to be able to to cook and to and to make the food that is nutritious and nourishing for themselves. But at the same time, there are so many realities in people's lives that have driven us to a culture where, uh, you know, prepared food and takeout is so much more of a thing. How do you how do you see the balance? Yeah, I mean, as a mom, as a chef uh, myself, I mean, it's ideal to cook fresh every day, but working and doing all the extra things that I do. It's not always practical and extracurricular activities. And sometimes you just need to pick up a, you know, a bite from somewhere local. Um, I think for me, especially now as a mom, it's instilling the principles of cooking and understanding how to read recipes from a very young age. Um, so I spent a lot of time this summer with a nonprofit soil to service doing culinary education in the community and teaching young ones how to preserve food, how to make pickles, how to cook. Um, and I hope to continue to grow this um, for myself as a business and think about how I can continue to teach kiddos how to read recipes and cook because everyone needs to eat and the skills you need to eat are cooking. And that starts with reading a recipe and how do you know how to plan that out? So that's one of my um, big personal goals uh, to continue to work towards. Amanda, you totally don't have to answer this, but are your kids old enough to be doing some cooking themselves? So um, my daughter is six and um, we just got a new chef's knife. It's a kid's chef's knife by Zwilling because um, it has a little cover. So she got a little, she got her first cut using my chef knife. So I said, okay, maybe you're not ready for that quite yet. So we'll get you a small, you know, kid approved one. Um, so she loves to help. And it's such a great way to like build curiosity and like, get her to eat delicata squash and mu different mushrooms and things because she's touched it and she's helped prep it even if it's like a simple thing and a lot of my like my my chef hat has to go off sometimes I'm like okay the dices aren't great but she's participating and she's excited to eat a vegetable so that's great for those who cannot come to the dinner but want to help out 
Do you want to say a little bit about how folks can get involved if they if they'd like to? Yeah, if you can't attend the dinner, um, I'm starting to plan a second one because so many chef friends were like, oh, we missed your post and we'd like to join. Can you let us know when we can do another? So I'm hoping to plan another one for November um, or December, depending on holiday season booking and all of that. Um, But also you can make a donation on the website and um, contribute to our fundraiser. We set a big fundraising goal um, of $50,000 to make the biggest impact that we can with all these great chefs that we have coming together. Um, So that's also another way that you can be involved. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes to listen to at michiganradio.org. Today's pod episode was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Livia Meradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and also from Audio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.